Richard Dick. We have the sites here that anybody who is over 40 has their points today. So, so, so Bob, forget it. Well, I thought a bullet. I didn't get to speak on fasting, and I wasn't selected to speak on simplicity. So uh, I figured I was home free, get to speak on something I'm comfortable about, only to discover that there's, to no one's surprise, a lot more to it than I would have suspected, particularly in the way Richard Foster deals with it. And Bob and I were talking about this earlier this morning, actually. So this is the book. This is an old version of it, back in 1980. Um, so we're going to talk about study. Could you move to the next slide there, Maestro? Okay, so you'll, this is the only slide, so we won't have to move on from that. I put almost everything in your notes, so that's what I'm going to be using to speak from. So what is study is a spiritual discipline. When Mike Kelvey and I were talking about this earlier, we said, okay, well... Finally, a topic that we actually got. We have that in our little box and we can do it. But it is a bigger box than I had realized. Study itself is a focused intellectual examination. I think that was, yeah, okay, I could accept that going in before I even looked at, at what Foster had to say. It's an examination of the scriptures. Okay, got that. That's Bible study. I'm used to that. Um, but it's also an examination of other written works of creation, of culture, or of events in order to understand them more completely. With the goals of, so we're not there yet, that's just, that's the beginning of the process, to understand them more completely toward the goal of understanding God and the things of God, because the goal is not understanding what we've got here, even understanding the book, even understanding the scriptures. The goal is understanding God and the things of God more deeply and of applying, just like Dallas says, application, 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 of applying those things. Application's end, its goal, is to transform us more fully into the image of Christ in mind, body, and spirit. So my difficulty doing study, and for those who, how many guys like study or Bible study, that kind of thing. A number of us. The problem, the challenge for us is that we stop at the study part. We don't move on to the transformed life part. I know that's my problem, probably for none of the rest of you, but that, that's where my difficulty is. I've got to get over that, that hump and let God do his ultimate work in me. Because Scripture is given, as I put in your notes, Scripture is given not to increase our knowledge, but to change our hearts and our lives. Um, the other thing, too, that Foster brought out, and this was really the biggest revelation for me, was this idea of looking at things in addition to the Scriptures, to look at culture and life and see what God has to say, what God thinks about those things. As an aside, did you ever stop to think that what God thinks about something is not just an opinion, it's truth. So I can say what God thinks about something. Well, what God knows about something because he's God. And our goal is to get closer to the way he evaluates those things around us. And I just wanted to show you, I do have show and tell here. It reminds me of first grade. Um, 
Chuck Colson, for example, uh, now gone to be with Christ, but, but uh, Against the Night, Living in the New Dark Ages, and tons of books like this, Francis Schaeffer, many others, who write on our culture. Well, how do they get the insights to put together books like this? Study. Okay. Operating from a base of the scriptures and looking at the culture going on around us. One caution with that, of course, is the goal is not the culture. The goal is, frankly, not changing the culture. The goal is letting God change us. And, oh, by the way, that will change the culture as we obey, do those things that God wants us to do. Um, Guys like Casey and, and others being used, you all being used in your workplaces today changes the culture. As we study, as we apply, as we are changed, we can change the culture from the inside out. For some of us, it'll be a more public role and a, perhaps a more wide-ranging role, um, like some of the work that Jim Neighbors is doing, for example. So, uh, but for many of us, it'll be the transformation that God works within us and the interactions we have with other people. One of the things that we talked, that the teachers talked about was how do we relate what we're talking about today back to the other things that we've already talked about. And I think you'll probably see the teachers from here on out working at doing that as well. So we've talked about meditation, prayer, and fasting. So meditation, the navigators have an illustration. I I didn't bring it here, but uh, you can get it on their website. It talks about how do I grasp uh, the scriptures. And the key to it, the fingers are uh, study, memorize, study, memorize, hear, read. Um, And those are all the fingers, but the palm, the thumb actually, that helps me do all the others is meditation. It's that focused application on a small portion, in this case of scripture, that helps me to to squeeze it like a sponge and get out of it all that God has for me in it. It's like taking a jewel and rotating it in the light and seeing all the different facets that God has. I will never be able to rotate it enough to see all that's there. It's like uh, some pastor a long time ago said, uh, Scripture is like a bathtub so shallow that a babe need not fear, and an ocean so deep that the, the deepest scholar will never reach the bottom. So meditation helps us get closer to the bottom, but we'll never, still never get there. Prayer has to prepare the way for study and accompanying it, accompany it uh, throughout. Otherwise, really, study becomes dangerous. If we are not informed by God, if our minds are not being transformed by him and are not equipped by him to see what he has for us, we're really in danger of, of for example, higher criticism in the 19th century. Of We think we know more than God about what he says. The odds of that are really pretty unlikely. So we just need to bear that in mind and seek God for it. Fasting, and this is the one I was really glad I didn't have to teach on, um, because fasting helps us realize our utter dependence on God. That was, um, a friend of mine has actually done probably three uh, 39 and a half to 40 day fasts. One of them was water only. And the comment to him that he gave me after that was years in the past, he said, it helped me to realize how helpless I was. 
just how utterly dependent on God himself. Because I, he didn't have anything of himself. You know, you get to the, I'm told, you get to that point, and you're so weak physically, strong spiritually, but weak physically, that you realize you're, you're really lost without him. So, and you can see all those three things working together in Matthew 4, 1 to 11. The temptation in the wilderness. So Christ was fasting for 40 days. Okay? He was obviously meditating slash studying on Deuteronomy. I say obviously, I think it was. Because whenever the devil tempts him those three times, as you, you know, um, he responds from the book of Deuteronomy and just, just uh, pushes back Satan with the word of God. And presumably, at least, spending that whole 40 days in a time of prayerful submission and fellowship with his father. And so that, those things lay the groundwork for his victory over Satan then and his ultimate victory in the cross and the empty tomb. Okay, so why study? One of the, here I sort of departed the pattern. Mike's probably gonna, Mike Helvey's probably going to fire me as a teacher because I really didn't stick to what Foster has to say. But anyway, here we are. I have the microphone. Nobody else does. Um, so Ezra 7.10. For Ezra set his, had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and ordinances. You Actually, if you do a concordance search for the word study, it's not really there very much. The concept is, but the actual word in English is not. But the Hebrew word that's here translated study, it's the idea of tramping with the feet. To me, it's, in some ways, it's like stamping grapes to get wine out of it or tamping down clay to make a hard floor in a mud, hut, mud house. So it's that really concentrated, repeated application, pounding on the scriptures to let God teach us out of it. So it's to inquire, to seek with care. Now, Ezra set his heart, study to yield fruit requires, just as farming does and vine dressing, patient application. It requires a decision and requires perseverance along those lines for some time to come. It doesn't yield easily. God can give us, he does give us, uh, perhaps quick insights to whet our appetite, but it's the patient and persistent application that's going to yield the fruit to us. It facilitates obedience, and it enables us to teach. And we're going to keep coming back to this idea of teaching a few times as we go through this. Well, why? I'm not a teacher. I'm not standing up on, you know, here or in Sunday school or anywhere else. Yeah, you are. You just don't know it, or you may not know it. And looking at Deuteronomy 6, And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So the Hebrew word that there is translated, teach them, teach diligently, is... It's actually widely used in Scripture, but only once talking about the idea of teaching. It's this idea of, of sharpening. So I would think of it, probably a number of you have seen uh, 
like History Channel or something like that, on the making of a sword, particularly the making of a samurai sword. Okay, and for those guys who are really expert on this, I'll probably butcher it, but but it's that idea that that you heat the steel again and again, and you continually fold it, and then hammer it, fold it, hammer it, fold it, hammer it, hundreds of times to finally arrive at the edge that you want. And Japanese swords, from what I understand, are the finest were, and I presume still are, the finest in the world. And that's the idea here of sharpening, of spending sufficient time in the scripture, investing time in it to sharpen, not sharpen the scriptures, but to sharpen ourselves in how we understand them. So we are all teachers. We have, many of us have children. Um, all of us have circles of life in which consciously or not, formally or not, we are teachers. By example and by word. So, 1 Corinthians 3.2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. And even yet, you are not ready. I mean, none of us have that said of us. Hebrews 5 goes into the same thing. The author says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of God's word. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a child. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their faculties trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, if you think about that, and if you, know, you spend much time recently in the book of Hebrews, the idea that Hebrews is milk, you sort of wonder, I'm going to have a tough time with the meat. Hebrews, is, it, to me, is one of the most challenging books of the Bible in terms of understanding. It's depth of insight into Christ, the nature of Christ, and uh, our relationship with him. But that's, what, that's the standard God has for us. We can never stand still. We have to keep moving up, moving up, moving ahead. I forget who the speaker was at the GLS two years ago. He said, nothing of value is ever downhill. If we want to achieve something worth achieving, it will be uphill. It will be, require effort, and study is certainly, that's true of it. Then 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So do your best. That's not a suggestion from Paul to Timothy. It's not, hey, this is a good idea. If you have time, uh, try to get this done. It's a command. It's an exhortation. So it's an exhortation to us as well to do our best to be workmen who are worthy of our hire. That word rightly handling is a, a fun one for reasons that I don't experience. It means it's the idea of being, you know, a workman around your home and taking a piece of wood and cutting it straight, uh, being incapable of doing, incapable utterly of doing that myself on a piece of wood. Uh, but I can really appreciate those like Bob Ashton and others who do. So, and that's that idea here that we need to be those who rightly divide the scriptures. We need to be equipped to correctly understand and interpret 
Scripture in the light of Scripture and in the light of the character of God and communicate it to others. And then lastly, Acts 17.11. Paul is talking about having gotten thrown out of Thessalonica. Paul got thrown out of a lot of places, uh, some very nice places. Um, So he says he goes to the city of Berea. And he says, Now these Jews of Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So that idea of, so think about a microscope or um, an analytical x-ray. It's that idea of analysis in order to determine either excellence or defect. And what did the Bereans do? Paul presented to them a doctrine that for them was brand new and really challenged a lot of what they, had, what they thought was true. So what mirror did they hold up to that doctrine? Scripture. And they said, okay, here's what this guy says. Here's what Scripture, in their case the Old Testament, says. How do those match up? And they concluded they matched up really well. So, and that's what God calls on us to do. He calls on us to, to filter. We are so, I know I am, this is true of me, we are so inclined to evaluate Scripture in the light of experience rather than evaluate experience in the light of Scripture. And you know if you've gone through a really discouraging time, you know how tempting that is, is to say what this book says isn't true. It's not what's reflected in my experience. Instead of saying, what does this book say about my experience and how I'm supposed to go through it? Okay, so how do we study? I'm not going to spend lots of time on this, but we can go to Bible, Bible college, seminary. I mean, Joe Terry went to seminary. Uh, Alex Zaccaroli, he's going there now. You know, you really, then you, you get a great deal. You get a very academically oriented, uh, very language-centric, and you realize education, and you realize, I don't know nearly as much as I thought I did. So, and that's a useful lesson. When I went to grad, just finished grad school, but when I went to that, um, in military history, I thought, I've been doing military history since I was 10. I've got this down. No, you don't. Okay. It helps us to, to see our own shortcomings and learn how to get better at them. Self or group study courses. My last piece of show and tell. This is the navigators, happens to be navigator study designed for discipleship. This is the version in 1975 uh, when I was 10. Um, Oh, gosh, you guys are laughing. So lots of, I mean, you guys all know this, lots of great, really excellent books that help us to examine the scriptures, often in company with others. Now, and Bob and I were actually talking about this earlier this morning, in company with others. Study is excellent in company with others, but only as the fruit of time that we have spent in the scriptures ourselves. Study speaks to us alone. And then we come together to communicate insights and to find out, you know, to what greater or lesser degree we were wrong. So, but initially we have to, and I always say that that's true about heaven. We'll each get to heaven and find out how wrong we were about what we believe about God. How less, how much less we understood of him, how much less we thought of him than is actually true. 
But anyway, my, getting back to my, my uh, point on this, that, that we come together to correct misinterpretations or misapprehensions and to build one another up with what we've learned from the scriptures. But that's built on the time that we invest in it ourselves. And as Foster notes, the last part, what do we study? And I'll come back to, to books on study in a minute. Um, <coughs> we should study more than just the scriptures in order to be wise kingdom dwellers. Now, let me give a caution to that. We should study. We should be aware of our culture. Um, we should examine it. We should, we should look at the creation around us because it has. they all have. If you look at Psalm 8, for example, the psalmist is clearly inspired by standing outside and looking at the stars. And the result of that is Psalm 8. So those things are all valid, but we recognize that the basis of it, the filter through which we have to interpret all those things, is the scriptures. So that gives us our lens that we look at life. Um, one other resource, too, is books on how to study the Bible, because the goal is not to go through something like this, guided study books like this, all your life. The goal is to be able to feed ourselves. <coughs> I can guarantee that you and I are spoiled. We have spent eight years under an exceptional teacher. The temptation is that we come to depend on that exclusively and we don't invest in study ourselves. So God calls us, commands us, requires of us that we become diligent workmen in the scriptures. <coughs> so could you roll to the question, Bob? Questions? Oh, I actually, could you roll back? I'm sorry. I did want to point out Einstein, the Einstein quote. I want to know all God's thoughts. All the rest are just details. And that's really, the reason I put that in there was because of the idea that, that there's more, that we need to, to widen our focus while keeping our anchor in the scriptures. So recognize that, that God gives us insights into the culture around us and wants to use us to impact it. And guys like Casey, that's how they spend their lives, their working lives doing that. <coughs> uh, don't get the idea, of course, that, that Einstein was a believer or even particularly spiritual. He's Jewish, but uh, was quite skeptical, I think, of spiritual things. But he, uh, I think, to at least to a degree, stood in awe of the extent and complexity of the universe. He just didn't apparently make that final step to see who was behind that. Okay, now to the questions, please. So how does God challenge you through his word? How has he most changed your life? What has he used? Is it sermons? Is it scripture memory? Is it meditation? And then talk about an example. Um, describe your most positive experience in Bible study, and then your le less, least positive or less positive, and why were they different? And then lastly, if you feel challenged that God wants you to grow in the area of study, what step could you take in the coming week? Okay, that's it for me. Thanks.